Welcome to Truth Revealed Ministries, the weekly broadcast from Soul Purpose Evangelical Church in Middletown, New York, with Reverend Albert Feliciano Sr. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised, infallible, and impregnable Word of the Living God. Our prayer is that today's message draws you closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Albert. God bless you once again. We are here to provide our weekly broadcast to you, and we're so grateful for all of our listeners and supporters, and uh, we say a great big God bless you and welcome to our program tonight. I'd like to uh, just wish everyone a happy Palm Sunday coming up and uh, a wonderful Resurrection Sunday morning. I pray that you would find a church to attend and uh, to make sure that you are part of the body of Christ on one of the greatest days in the year in the Christian faith. Amen? Well, this evening I have a message to share. It's called, uh, the title of today's message is called, The Flip-Flop. The Flip-Flop. Amen? We're going to be reading from Matthew 21, starting at verse number 5, and we're going to go all the way through verse number 9. And the word of the Lord says... Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and sat him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Praise the Lord. We know in a few days we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday. 2,019 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. We, we read in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. Let me ask you a question this evening. Doesn't God get to choose how he enters into the great city of Jerusalem? Think about that. You see, the Jews were waiting for their Messiah, Jesus. They were waiting for Christ, who would deliver them and rule forever as king. They knew the scriptures and they studied them since childhood. They knew that the king of the Jews would come into the city and would deliver them from their oppressors. They expected a rugged, handsome war hero, just like King David, riding into town on a white horse. But instead, God chose Jesus, and he came as a lowly servant, riding on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. Because they knew prophecy, they accepted him with gladness as their king. And they even cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We think of that word Hosanna. It's a Hebrew word and it basically means save us. Oh God, save us. Oh Messiah, save us. Some people threw their clothes on the street. The custom that day that was uh, whenever someone threw their clothes and, and someone else walked on the clothes, it, it really meant that they had superiority over them. And the Jews, they willingly gave up their rights to this new king. They acknowledged him with gladness, with cheerfulness of heart. And uh, they must have thought to themselves, you know, I would gladly give everything up for this new king so long as he does what's right for me. And they cried out, save me, save me, Hosanna, Hosanna. Even the poor people typically uh, tore palms and olive branches from trees and uh, they, they laid them down on the road symbolizing the very same thing, that you have lordship over us. It was an act of servitude and an act of submission to the king. In other words, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Jesus' triumphant entry. We read that in many of our Bible translations, a big caption. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But think of the picture. Imagine the Son of God, the Son of the living, almighty, and powerful God coming into Jerusalem riding on a colt. Jesus was extremely famous by this time. Jesus had already raised Lazarus from the dead. Numerous people were healed, delivered, renewed. Everyone knew about Jesus. The word of his fame went throughout the land. Many of the people in Jerusalem, they ate the bread. They ate the fish. They seen the miracles. Many of them were cured. The blind were able to see. The lame were able to, to walk again. The mute spoke. Demons were casted out of many people. Lepers were cleansed and many people were forgiven all because of the ministry of Jesus. And here he is en route to Jerusalem. Before he gets there, he asks his disciples to go into a close by village and they were going to find a colt, a colt that no one has ever sat on, unused, unblemished. And they, he told his disciples, you know what? When you run into this town, you're going to see the owner. And if anyone gives you trouble, just say, the Lord has need of it. And, of course, we read that the disciples, they followed his instructions to the T and just that he had asked them to. And, you know, the owner of the colt was glad to give up his colt, the one that has never been ridden on by any other man. And he gave it up freely to the work of the Lord over to Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just make a little uh, a clarification and, and a distinction here. Ancient customs, whenever a mighty warrior conquered the enemy in battle, the custom was always to ride into the city, to come into the city gates on a white horse or even on a black stallion, and it symbolized the ultimate victory and dominion over their enemies. However, Whenever a mighty warrior, a king, was able to negotiate peace, the custom was to ride into the city gates on top of a colt. A colt represented peace between nations, and 
peace between rivals, that, that there was a peace res resolution and uh, uh, the war was already won without even fighting. So Jesus enters into Jerusalem amidst shouts of praise, Hosanna, 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 and palms and clothing and all these things are waved in the air and they're thrown on the street in front of him and he rides into Jerusalem triumphantly as king on a colt. What do you know? The very first act he does as he enters the city is to go to the temple. He arrived at his father's house. And there he sees that his father's house had been turned into a den of thieves and robbers. Jesus single-handedly turns over the money tables and he, he dropped everything on the ground and no one neared to get no one dared to get near him. You know, that there was a power and authority that he had. And uh, everyone was afraid. What is going on? They must have thought to themselves. He took the animals that were caged up, uh, used for sacrifices, and he freed all the animals from their cages. No one messed with him. No one tried to take him down. He had a righteous indignation. Jesus was angry with what he saw, but he did not sin. Glory to God. But most importantly, Jesus was not a wimp, as many believers and, and even unbelievers sometimes think that Jesus must have been a wimpy man because we see these portrayals of him in Hollywood as this weak, mild-mannered guy that everyone took advantage of. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the God of the Word of the Holy Scriptures. Our God is a powerful God, a mighty God. And when he saw his father's house being taken advantage of, he cleansed the temple. And this is literally as he came in to Jerusalem. He goes straight to the Father's house. Enter in the flip-flop. And here we go with the subject of the flip-flop. Immediately, people began to manifest. Uh, I'll use the Ebonics version. They were tripping. Everybody started reacting crazy. They were no longer saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were, they were saying, who does he think he is? This is not the guy that we just uh, uh, worshipped, the guy that we just celebrated coming in. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I threw my palms on the street for. This is not why I took my coat off and let him ride over it. This is not my act of submission to, to show myself submitted to somebody like this. I want my money back. I, I want a refund. You, you know what was, was happening? They had buyer's remorse. And doesn't this sound just like people? We're so cynical. We, we get so fickle. Uh, we get contemptuous and, and skeptical. And, and we shift positions in an instant. In other words, we flip-flop. Politicians are always accused of being flip-flops. And if you look at the definition of what it means, is, is simply this, a reversal as, a, as of a stand or position. To move back and forth between two conditions or two circumstances and sometimes repeatedly. We see it all the time in our evening news. One thing we have to understand, disagreement renders us all powerless. Agreement keeps the power flowing and it keeps the unity of the brethren. It's easy to shout out, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna. It's easy to shout out when you're in agreement. But it's when you disagree, 
It's when you don't like the things that you're seeing. It's when you disagree that it'll cost you to still muster up the courage to shout out, Hosanna in the highest. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. Did you know that life's greatest disappointments come from our expectations? We often want the ideal situation. We want the ideal uh, 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 situation, but, but when we're faced with the real, we, we immediately flip-flop. We don't stay the course. We don't see, through, see things through. We don't seek resolutions. We don't seek God. No wonder why there's so many divorces in our land. No wonder why there are so many deletions and unfriending on social media. No wonder why there's so many people leaving and going from one church to another church and from one pew to another pew recycling ourselves as Christians. Meanwhile, the body of Christ is not growing by a single soul. You know, many people love their pastors at their churches so long as he keeps saying yes so long as he keeps preaching warm and fuzzy sermons, so long as he doesn't talk about sin and holiness, so long as he uh, uh, allows us to leave early or leave on time, and so long as he lets us eat and drink during the service and in the sanctuary, so long as he recognizes our achievements publicly and, 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 and shows appreciation for all of our work, and uh, so, long as, so long as this and so long as that and blah, 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 the honeymoon will continue so long as you do what I want you to do. However, the minute your pastor starts talking about certain things that are a little rough to hear, like sin and holiness and sanctification and respect and forgiveness and honesty and truth and repentance and how about this one, demonic activity, uh, a deliverance, uh, or, or this is a big one in the body of Christ, gossip and murmuring and backbiting and all of those different things and negative spirits, you know, all of a sudden, the honeymoon is over. And just like uh, the Israelites in that time, just like the Jews in that day, we start saying of ourselves the same thing. Who does he think he is? I'm not coming to church now. That's it. I'll fix him. How about this one? I'm not going to tithe anymore. Let's see him buy a building now. I'm not going to give to the church. Let's see them operate now. But it doesn't even end there. People begin to talk negatively about their pastors. They'll spread the lies and all the other things. They'll plot with others and make phone calls and throw their pastors and their leaders under the bus. They start to breed resentment and bitterness towards their pastor. The next thing you know, they're looking in the yellow pages for, guess what, a new church. Why do people change churches so much? Let me ask a very important question. What difference does it make which church you stay home from? If a church wants a better pastor or better leaders, it only needs to pray for the one that it has. Why not be part of a solution instead of contributing to a self-propelled problem? You know what the real problem is, people of God? The word submission. Submission is always easiest when you agree. 
Anyone can work hard and even enjoy what they're doing when they agree. Wives will submit to their husbands when there is agreement. Men will submit to their employers when they agree. Amos 3.3, it says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? It's when you disagree that you will find out what you are truly committed to. The Jews of Jerusalem were committed to an idea, not a God. They thought Jesus the man would get them what they wanted, freedom from Roman rule. Instead, Jesus taught them, submit to God and seek him only. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. Jesus told them some radical things like pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies, forgive the offender 70 times 7. Woo! Reality check. They were not ready to surrender. They wanted a king on earth, but not in heaven. They flip-flopped one week after they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Literally, a week later, they're all crying out, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Some people are kind, polite, and even sweet-spirited until you try to sit in their church pew. The Jews rejected the love of God because of themselves. We reject Christ because of our own selfishness. We want things our way. We want God to do what we want him to do, like a genie in a bottle. And we put him on a shelf Monday through Saturday, and then we take him out on Sunday morning. And every once in a while, we'll rub on the bottle and hope that he gives us exactly what we want. God had a plan, and his plan is sure, and no one who chooses it will ever perish. God looks at the big picture. We look at today and sometimes tomorrow. There's a quote by Augustine that says, If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe in, but yourself. Hmm. Jesus rode into Jerusalem because of his great love. There are no limits, no flaws to his great love. We will never be able to understand it, and all we can do is just receive it. His love for you is from everlasting to everlasting. It is an unconditional love. God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional. Love Love is the strongest of all emotions. Nothing that we know of in this world is as strong as love is. Nothing can compare with love. And God loves you. He loves me. He loves us as just as much as he loves Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Where there is no love, there is neither grace nor mercy, just laws. A principle I learned very on early in, in my life was from Dr. Ed Cole when he talked about love. He said, love is the desire to benefit others at the expense of self 
because love desires to give. And then he said, the opposite of that is lust. Lust is a desire to benefit self at the expense of others because lust desires to get. And then he went on and he said, where there is a lot of love, there is a little need for law. But where there is, where there is a little bit of love, then all you have is law. And it's very true. Oftentimes when we uh, put so many rules and regulations, we got to really think about it. Why are there so many of these rules in place? It becomes a religious or even a legalistic kind of a setup. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give you freedom. He just said, don't use your freedom to cause you to sin. If Christ is in you and you are in him, then love will be the foremost quality of your Christian life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will be evident in your life. You will need his fruit to walk in his love. And there really is an evidence of a converted life. There is evidence of a changed life of any believer. Number one, the evidence is a love for God. Number two, a love for God's word. Number three, a love for the brethren. And last but not certainly least, number four, a love for the souls. Many in the body of Christ claim to love others, but we actually lie. We lie to ourselves and we lie to God. Matthew 24, 12 says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Other translations will say that the love of many will wax cold. Our love can be lost, but it can also be regained. Revelations 2.4, it says that you have lost your first love. How do we lose our first love? It's when we stay away from the body of Christ, when we stay away from being in the presence of God, when we stay away from his word, when we stay away from our devotional time, our intimate time of fellowship. How can we lose this love for humanity when we're not praying for one another, when we're not praying for our leaders, when we're not praying for lost souls? Something happens inside. When we neglect those responsibilities, we start to become cold and, and callous and, and even selfish. We only think about ourselves. But isn't it beautiful to know God's love can never be lost. It's impossible. God only knows first love. Think about this. How can love so quickly turn to hate? If you think about it, with the same intensity that people love, they use that same intensity to hate. When people feel betrayed, they feel justified to hate. When people aren't being loved, they allow themselves to seek out love elsewhere. Love is the one thing that everyone wants and needs, but many are not willing to give. And in the end, they miss out on real, genuine love. Youth, young ladies especially, don't believe the, the, what I like to call the love lies. When these young 
cats out there, when these young guys, you know, are saying, come on, baby, come on, baby, I love you. You, you love me. Let, let's get together. Let's do this thing. Baby, I love you so much. We're going to be together forever anyway. You know that I'll always be with you to the very end. I will never leave you. I will never hurt you. I will never do this to you or do that to you. Come on, let's get together. I call that the love lies. Because you know what? True love waits. True love is disciplined and it will wait and it'll, it'll stand the test of time because love is an action. It's a verb. It's an action word. So often young ladies are misled and, and this is how we have so many unwanted pregnancies and so many diseases out there because we're listening to the lies of others. Listen, young ladies, remain pure. Remain unblemished. It's a beautiful gift. Save yourself for your husband. Men, save yourself for your wife. Purity is a gift that you can only give away at one time in your life. And God honors purity. Jesus was pure when he walked into Jerusalem. He was pure. His blood was pure. It was uncontaminated by sin. Jesus gave himself up for his bride, pure and holy. Whenever you think that God doesn't understand, remember, Jesus lived a life of purity. And this is why, you know, the Da Vinci Code, a big-time book, what a, what a, it's just utter garbage. Jesus was complete all in one person. In fact, Jesus had all personality traits in one person. He was the, the choleric, the melancholy, the phlegmatic, and the sanguine, all in one person. He didn't need a wife. He didn't need a baby to be complete. We see these movies and these actors and actresses, they tell each other, you complete me. But the reality is you completely destroy me. You know, Jesus didn't need anyone to be complete. He was complete in his Father. Hallelujah. And the Father and him are one and the same. When we understand this, we can appreciate what he has done. It's a life of devotion. A life promised to his bride. A sacrifice of praise to the highest degree. And he ransomed our debt with his own life. He paid it with his own body. His blood was shed on a cross made of wood. They drove nails into his hand. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath empty on our behalf. And he did it for you and he did it for me. You know, in our, in our church in Middletown, New York, we've done in the past uh, purity ceremonies where we give our young kids a, a series of, of classes on remaining pure and, and the benefits of purity. And, and then we give them a, a, a more like a wedding ceremony type of purity ceremony where we give them a ring and, and the ring says, true love waits. And these are beautiful uh, symbols of, of waiting for that special person. And the rings are to be given on their wedding night as a gift to either their husband or their wife. When the church is united with the groom, which is Jesus, he's going to give you a gift as well. And you know what that gift is going to be? A crown of life, a crown of splendor, a royal diadem, a sign of royalty, loaded with precious stones and gems, a crown of everlasting life. 
And when we receive this crown on that great day, you know what's going to end up happening? We're going to fall to our knees and we're going to take the crown off of our head and we're going to lay it down at his feet. Because we're going to immediately recognize, you know what, Lord? I haven't done anything. I haven't done enough to deserve this crown. The one who truly deserves it is you. We will give it back to him. We will gift it right back to him. And Jesus will return to earth that one glorious day, the second coming of Christ, and he will carry all of our crowns on his head. Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and was later rejected. But guess what, saints of God? Guess what, world? Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, hallelujah, whether you're ready or not, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem again, and this time on a white horse. He will carry all of our crowns on his head. Hallelujah. Revelations 19, 11 through 16, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns glory to god he had a name written on it that no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and the armies in heaven clothed with fine linen white and clean Followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. Hallelujah. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Guess what? Hallelujah. Our God doesn't flip-flop like we do. He's not a politician or just some leader or some spiritual guru. He makes everything better. Behold, our God makes all things new. And now that is the ultimate flip-flop. Hallelujah. He rides into Jerusalem as a lowly servant, crucified for the sins of the whole world. But then he comes and he conquers death and hell and the grave. And then he comes back into Jerusalem as King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus will renew the earth and we will reign together with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. There will be no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering. He is coming again, just like he said he would. We who are in him will be with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. And let me tell you the truth. This day is approaching. It is in our very near future. We will all know him. You will know him as Lord and Savior or as judge and prosecutor. And that's a fact. Hallelujah. Make no mistake about it. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those listening to this message, let me ask you a question. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Romans 10, 9 and 10, actually 9 through 11, it says, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Those verses of scripture is how a soul can become born again in Christ Jesus. Confess with your mouth, Jesus. The same way we confess our sin out, we confess him in. Why not make this Palm Sunday, 2019, the day that you flip-flop? And flip-flop in another way. Hallelujah. A beautiful flip-flop. A flip from death and darkness and flopping into the marvelous light and the everlasting covenant through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. There is room at the cross for you. Remember that no one that calls on the name of the Lord will be cast aside. All that call on the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. It is for this very reason that he came to earth in the first place, so that where he is, you may be with him forever, to return to the place of paradise, to walk with God in the cool of every day, to spend time with him face to face. Hallelujah. He loves you. We love you. We're praying for you, those that are listening, and we pray that you would be praying for us. Hallelujah. We thank you this evening for listening to our message. We pray that God would bless you, that God would keep you, that God would make his face to shine upon you, and that God would give you his everlasting peace. Shalom to you, brothers and sisters. God bless you, and we'll see you again or listen to us again next week. God bless you. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. You are all in our prayers. We're able to bring this radio ministry to you because of the generous support of listeners like you. If you've been blessed by today's program, please consider partnering with us with a love offering of any amount. Visit our website, specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. That's specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday soon. We thank you for your prayers and support. God bless you.